With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, another edition of the Penn State Blitz Podcast with Greg Pickle. I'm Bob Flounders. Greg, Penn State finished with an 11-2 season, an impressive Cotton Bowl win. They got a new offensive coordinator. We're going to get to that. We also have to talk about what happened to Penn State offensive line coach Matt Meingrover, former offensive line coach. There have been some Penn State player decisions, who stayed, who left for the NFL, and we're going to wrap it up with the Penn State mailbag. All right, Greg Pickle. I don't know where we start. I mean, first of all, a busy start to 2020. I can't believe it's only been like a couple of days since the Cotton Bowl with all that's happened. Right. But I'm not sure what the biggest news is. There's been so much news. Why don't we just start with the Cotton Bowl? We can start with that. It was Tyler Bowen, the interim offensive coordinator, calling the plays with the new offensive coordinator, Kirk Sharaka. From Redland High School. I said that right, didn't I? Yes. Uh, Looking on. It was a shootout. Penn State Mm -hmm. finally put it away with the running game to finish 11-2. and I don't know that a lot of people saw an 11-win season for Penn State uh, this year. We could get to all of that. But just what's your overwhelming take as you think about the Cotton Bowl in AT&T Stadium where they subdued Memphis Finally, with the running game, what what jumps out to you the most? Yeah, I think the thing that really struck me was that once Tyler Bowen decided to stick with the run, Penn State's offense really couldn't be stopped, and that was really the story of that game. You know, I think K.J. Handler was the leading receiver with two catches for 46 (laughs) yards. I mean, it was not the kind of game where the passing attack was going to light it up, and they didn't need it to be that kind of game. I think going into it, you had written about it that the front seven of Memphis versus Penn State's running game was a major advantage in Penn State's favor. James Franklin said afterwards that there were times when he felt like he had to get on the headset and say, hey, let's not forget to run the ball because (laughs) we have a tremendous advantage there. And I guess the funny thing to me was, and even though Devin Ford only had a couple carries, but for all of the talk about the four-man running back rotation, it certainly worked out pretty well in Dallas in the season. It sure did. Journey Brown, a Penn State bowl game record. I think it was 202 yards. Yep. His first carry, uh, the only run in 10 plays for Penn State to start the game. Mm-hmm. A very physical touchdown run in which he just trampled a couple of Memphis Tigers. Yeah. Very uh, early sign that Penn State's running backs uh, and also the offensive line were going to be able to take control of this game. Um, it's weird to see they t- they scored 53 points. Mm-hmm. And they didn't really make a lot of plays or any plays, really, in the passing game. It was all about the run. Yep. It really was all about the running game kind of down the stretch with Sean Clifford kind of ailing. And he just wasn't 100%. They leaned on that a lot. He played in the game. Um, he did some okay things, but I think you could tell he was a little bit rusty. I do feel like if we're going to talk about the Cotton Bowl, we probably should talk about Micah Parsons, Penn State's linebacker, who mm-hmm. really – was the best player on the field. As good yeah. as Journey Brown was, I don't think Penn State's going to win that game if Micah doesn't do some superhuman things. He was the most outstanding defensive player, deservedly so. Yep. 14 tackles, three tackles for loss, mm-hmm. two sacks, two forced fumbles, forced interception. I think there was a quarterback hit in there, two pass breakups. He almost had an interception for a pick six. 
did it even surprise you how good he played in that game? Oh, certainly. I mean, I think everyone knows how talented yeah. he is, but that was a kind of game that puts a guy on a national yeah. stage heading into his junior season. And look, as a consensus All-American, certainly he was, uh, well, his season was well-received from a national perspective, but... You know, I don't know if you were hearing a ton of buzz about yeah. him, but to do that in a New Year's Six game yeah. hours before the two college football playoff semifinals, it really set the tone of what he can do and what Penn State can do in 2020. Obviously, the uh, draft talk will start pretty soon because he's going to be a junior and eligible to leave mm-hmm. after next season. So, you know, we have a whole calendar year to worry about that. But um, the Heisman <laughs> Trophy hype train might start too. And you know, he didn't win the Buckus Award this year, but he's certainly going to be among the favorites to do it this yeah. year. And what you're seeing from him really is his evolution as a linebacker, especially with what he can do with his speed and size at 6'3", 245 mm-hmm. pounds, either on the blitz or just as a pure pass rusher. Yeah. His only kryptonite is he just can't catch the ball yet. Uh, he probably had four or five interceptions in his hands this year. He doesn't have one yet at Penn State. I think that's going to change. He's just a terrific athlete. Can't talk enough about him. We're going to be talking a lot about him in 2020. And also, before we move on from the Cotton Bowl, we've got to talk about the new offensive coordinator with Ricky Ronnie, the former yeah. offensive coordinator at Old Dominion. They choose a guy with roots from the Harrisburg area and Kirk Soraka, the Minnesota offensive coordinator, mm-hmm. who did some good things when Minnesota upset Penn State with the RPO, the pass game, the run game, got a lot out of the quarterback. What's your first kind of read on him and what he might mean to Penn State? Well, the first thing would be that you're right. The run-pass option, the spread that he runs, it baffled Penn State. And I think one of the takeaways I had after that game was, how come it works so effectively for Minnesota, but Penn State doing a lot of the same concepts can't seem to trick defenses as well or get defenses thinking as well? And honestly, I think part of it is when you – even Trace McSorley got much better at it and Sean Clifford's improved throughout the year, but – you, Tanner Morgan was cerebral when it came to not only being, uh, you know, hide, not only hiding the ball, but also reading things quickly and making the right decision. I mean, he didn't make a bad throw, hardly any bad throws in that game, and I don't think he had any bad decisions. Now, you have to get Sean Clifford to that point, and I think that's Kirk Sharaka's or, you know, Will Levis. So I'm assuming Clifford uh, will be the starter next year, but who knows what will happen over the next eight months. But you know, I think you have to get Clifford to that point of saying, hey, you have to make defenses really work at this because even if you don't have the best skill players, you can obviously make guys look better if they're wide open running down the field. So I think that was probably the biggest takeaway for me is watching how effective and efficient that Minnesota offense was and even continued to be in the bowl win over Auburn. That's the kind of thing that can help Penn State go to the next level with him at leading the offense. Okay, so they have a new offensive coordinator. And as we are talking about this now, mm-hmm. they are in the market for a new offensive line coach, Matt yeah. Limegrover. Contract was not renewed after four seasons. Nice way of putting it. Yes. He uh, he took over in 2016, mm-hmm. 17, 18, and 19. When you look at the growth of the Penn State offensive line, I think there was a lot of good. I think he definitely developed some players. But I think ultimately there's a couple things to think about. Usually the new OC has his thoughts about what he wants from his offensive line coach, and he mm-hmm. probably has a preference. And also I think there's more to being an offensive line coach than just developing offensive linemen. There's yeah. a recruiting aspect, and there's also, Greg, what goes on in games. Can the offensive line coach make adjustments quick enough to really you know, kind of counter whatever a defense is doing at the start of the game? I think that all kind of goes with being a good offensive line coach. 
When you think about Matt Limegrover, do you think he did all three good enough to satisfy James Franklin? Uh, I mean, the easy answer is no, because he would have had his contract renewed otherwise. But the thing that jumps out to me is I think he was well-liked by a lot of recruits yeah. and well-respected by recruits and high school coaches and players on the roster and James Franklin. But there's no doubt that when he came in here, he had one of the tougher position coach jobs of anyone, yeah. even though he came you know, at two seasons. And he came in 2016, so the third year of the – the Franklin era, there were mm-hmm. still a lot of problems that needed to be fixed right. on that line, a lot of uh, recruiting depth that needed to be replaced. So I thought he did a nice job, but you just never felt like the next step was taken consistently. I think that's probably the biggest concern. Now, don't get me wrong, it could have nothing to do with performance and everything to do with Kirk Shiraka saying, hey, yes. look, I need somebody that understands the way I do things. I don't, part of me wonders too, and this is just completely, this is just my opinion, something that I thought about, but you know, Kirk Shiraka followed Matt Limegrover's time at Minnesota. They didn't overlap, but he right. can't, you know, Limegrover came to Penn State in 16, Sharaka went in 17. You just wonder, I guess, if maybe some of what he saw on tape from Minnesota's offensive lineman at that point in time was stuff he didn't necessarily care for. I don't know. Um, but clearly there was an emphasis or some kind of shift that needed to take place. And I think the question now is Matt Limegrover did a lot for this program, but who can help take it to the next level that we endlessly talk about, is it Tyler Bowen? Do they slide him over from the tight end job? He was the offensive line coach mm-hmm. at Maryland. Or do they keep him there and go out and get a proven guy, maybe with ties to Shiraka, maybe not? Yeah, and the interesting thing is that I think you and I would agree that they cut ties with Limegrover, but it does look like the offensive line should be one of the top two or three strengths yeah. of this team in 2020 with four returning starters mm-hmm. back. They're going to replace Steven Gonzalez, but they got Michael Mennett. Rashid Walker, Mike Miranda, C.J. Thorpe, Will Fries, Des Holmes, and some other guys maybe that, that are younger, yeah. Caden Wallace, that they like. This should really be a very good offensive line. I do think there's something to be said for when a new offensive coordinator comes in. He's going to want guys he likes and guys that he feels comfortable with to implement his system. Uh, we'll see how it, it shakes out, but it does sure seem like um, this could be one of those decisions that was made with the future, obviously. In mind. Yeah. Speaking of the future, mm-hmm. Penn State will be without a couple of very talented players uh, in 2020 that could have played uh, but made the decision to leave for the NFL. Etor Gross Matos made the decision, very, I think, early in December uh, that he was going to leave uh, after three years at Penn State. Yep. Uh, two-time first-team All-Big Ten choice. Didn't really surprise anyone. And the, the recent news on uh, New Year's Eve night, mm-hmm. I believe, That's right. that, that K.J. Hamler, the redshirt sophomore wideout return man, was going to go to the NFL isn't really surprising no. either when you look at uh, both of their careers what stands out well I think Etor was uh, both of them really progressively got better the thing that always stick out to me with Hamler is not just the electric plays he made but the fact that it said a lot about Penn State and James Franklin at the time that when he tore his ACL the first game of his senior year yeah. in high school Everybody else pretty much backed off of him. Penn State believed in what he could do, believed that he would come through the recovery process fine, and lo and behold, uh, he became a very successful player at Penn State and did a lot of things that, you know, they he, they accomplished a lot with him. There's no question about that. So that'll always be memorable to me. With Etor, it was just how – it's striking to go look at the photos of him before he got – you know, when he was in high school, yeah. and to look at him now and just how large of a human he is and some of the things he can do. I mean, the one-handed sack in the right. Cotton Bowl was just sort of the epitome of everything he's capable of. So neither of those were surprising, just like I don't think it was a shock that Michael Mennett, Will Fries, Pat Fryermuth, and Tariq Castro-Fields have all decided to come back. I, I just – 
could you make an argument that those guys are NFL ready? Perhaps. Yeah. Um, I think you could also make an argument with all of them, though, that one more season could definitely help bump their stock up. So now we just wait for, I guess, Shaka Tony, perhaps Lamont Wade, if they have anything to think about. But, you know, those two guys are probably in that same boat, too. Yeah, I think Shaka definitely is is still mulling his decision as we sit here right now and, and talk about it. And I I'd think, s- I think I don't know, I was a little surprised that Tariq uh, decided to come back, but I think the fact that he was inconsistent down yeah. the stretch really forced his hand. Shaka, I could still see going. Yeah, um, me too. For sure. I'm not sure about Lamont Wade and what he, he is thinking. I don't know that he's quite ready for the next level as a safety prospect, but we'll see. You never know between that and the transfer portal what, what's coming next, but we should have those decisions fairly quickly. I would say, though, with, a, with an eye towards the 2020 NFL draft in Etor and KJ, I think Penn State's got two top 50 players yeah. in the NFL draft and two that could – go in the first round. I think Etor's got a real shot. Some people think that KJ is so explosive that some team might also take a chance on him yeah. in the first round. He looks to me like he's in the Deshaun Jackson mold of player who can impact yep. uh, the return game and, and a, as a wideout as well. So we'll see. Um, it should be a very interesting draft. But I do think that you know some of the people that decided to stay back at Penn State are, are really the story, especially especially Fryermuth. And I thought men mm-hmm. had a really, really... In, the last month of the season in the bowl game played at an all big 10 level. Agreed. Yeah, no, he was, he was among their best players on offense. I think in that stretch, there's no doubt. So before we get to the mailbag, we didn't do it at halftime of the blitz. You were supposed to remind me. I know it's, 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 it's I'll tw- take the blame. It's, it's my first mistake of many in 2020. <laughs> I'll take the blame. I'll fall on the sword. Go ahead. Don't forget to like rate and subscribe to the Penn live Penn state blitz podcast. You can get it everywhere. You get your audio. This episode is out a little bit later than normal, but more often than not, they're out Thursday morning, Wednesday right. night if you subscribe. So leave a comment, some feedback. And if you're watching on YouTube, it's youtube.com slash all Penn State. So we're three quarters in, if you will, three downs in. So it's the Penn State mailbag. A lot of stuff happened during the bowl season. I'd say. Is there anything that you want to talk about maybe with regard to Ohio State Clemson or maybe Michigan Alabama? I'm sure you had more than a rooting interest in both games. <laughs> when you look at Penn, Penn State and the Big Ten in the bowl season, anything strike you? I just think that it's always interesting that when SEC teams don't show up, it's because they didn't want to be there. But when they win, that seems to be it's because the other team stinks. Now, don't get me wrong. Michigan was not great in that game against Alabama. I right. think Shea Patterson, if he tried to throw a football through the uprights, it would land outside the stadium. <laughs> I just I don't know what he was doing. I mean, everything was airmailed. It was... It was outrageous. I think FedEx yeah. charged him postage for most of those throws. But, yeah, yeah I mean, the Big Ten, as we record this, is 4-4 four and four going into Indiana-Tennessee yeah. on Thursday night. I think Indi- I like Indiana in that game, by the way. Might be too late for this, but I think Tom Allen's going to have that team ready to go. Um, interesting yeah. bowl season. The most impressive thing, though, to me was how Minnesota just yeah. physically handled Auburn and didn't miss a beat without Kirk Scirocco there. Yeah, and I have to say, I was uh, – Michigan just has not looked good, you know, for in any bowl game for right. for a while. I I will say that the Ohio State Clemson game is one of the better bowl games I've ever seen. That was played at a phenomenally high level. Mm-hmm. I know Buckeyes fans are upset about some of the calls in that game, deservedly so. I'm sure Penn State fans are the other way are are, are happy. Uh, right. One other thing, the Wisconsin game. I just thought mm-hmm. two things stood out. They let that one get away with yes. all those turnovers. And how about former Penn State receiver Juwan Johnson walking it off, yeah. coming up big in that game, not only to kind of win the game, but I think probably 
get some attention for uh, the NFL draft. Yeah, I mean, he had a good season. I know that some he had a couple of games where he really took off, and that sort of makes his season stats look a little bit better than maybe they are. But again, we've talked about it before. He's always looked apart, and there's times you think back to the game-winning catch against Iowa at Penn State that he looked like he was the next real thing, yeah. the next real deal. And it seems like getting out to Oregon sort of helped him clear his head a little bit. He's absolutely going to get drafted. I'm sure it'll be day three, but I mean, someone's going to fall in love with the physical features he has and the the qualities that he's shown and the good ones. And you know, he has no issues off the field that we're aware of. So, I mean, I think someone's going to take a chance on him. We'll see, but he's a day three guy at absolute worst. Yeah. It's early, but I'll put you on the spot uh, as we look at 2020. Can you give me two or three Penn State players? You're really excited to see maybe for their next step. Obviously, mm-hmm. we're not. I'm not talking about Micah or uh, Pat Fryermuth. Yeah, but are are there two or three players? Maybe they were redshirted that you kind of have your eye on with maybe what their next step is going to look like at Penn State as they get ready to assume a larger role. I really think Caden Wallace is a guy who can come out and win a starting job on a very veteran-laden offensive line. I mean, they have just raved about him from day one. So I'll be curious to see. If he can earn a starting spot by <laughs> August, are we talking about Will Fries? Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, Will. It depends what they want to do with him, guard or tackle. I mean, Miranda and Thorpe were part of a rotation. Maybe he surpasses both of those this yeah. offseason. I, I wouldn't put. I mean, they, don't get me wrong. I thought both those guys played pretty well, but I mean, the Caden Wallace hype train certainly is rolling down the track. So I wouldn't be surprised if he sees pretty significant snaps. The other one that comes up is Lance Dixon defensively. It's a good one. I mean, we I think he would have played in every game as Brandon Smith did had he not, you know, kind of been in a weird place with so many good guys in front of him and Jordan Stout kicking touchbacks. So there was no real reason to use him on special teams. On offense, Bob, it's Keandre Lambert, the, the signee uh, out of Virginia, the four-star receiver. Yeah, I, This wide receiver group is kind of ripe for the picking. I mean, yeah. Jahan Dotson comes back, and I think he did a lot of nice things this year. But other than that, I mean, I think any of the younger receivers on this roster mm-hmm. have a chance to come in and earn significant reps. And I like him a lot. Parker Washington's good, too. The older veteran receivers in this room better be on notice this offseason because there's at least two guys coming that are hungry to earn snaps this year. Yeah, I'm fascinated by the speed when Penn State has Micah Parsons, Brandon Smith, and Lance Dixon mm-hmm. on the field at the same time at the linebacker group. I know I know Ellis Brooks is probably going to factor in there in the middle, maybe even as a starter, but those yeah. three linebackers, really, you could make a case for all of them as five stars. I don't know if Dixon was, but he Very was close. Very close, yes. Brandon Smith is ready. Micah is obviously ready. The one guy I'm when you talk about the wideouts, John Dunmore, yeah. I think is a guy that was redshirted that they like. If you remember, Greg, during the the uh, December practices and even in November, James Franklin and the staff were showing a lot of love to Daquan Hardy. Yes, maybe in the return game, he's undersized, but they said they saw the player they saw in high school who was so dominant, mm-hmm. and I wonder maybe about what his role might be in 2020. I think he'll have a big role, special teams, absolutely. All right, one for you, then we'll get out of here yeah. and move on to the next segment of the Blitz. You can ask me about uh, Jerry World? I was not considering okay, it, but if you'd like to talk about it, you can take it. this question any way you nope. like. All right, you have one suggestion to give to Kirk Sharaka, and he has to implement it in 2020. <laughs> what is it? Is it an uh, under center package so the quarterback can sneak on fourth and one? That's all I want to know. I think that, to me, one of the big storylines is how Penn State, A, 
manages the running back room. You mean six four stars could be a problem? Six, six, what is yeah. it? Six and a five star. Yeah, right. I wonder if maybe one of those guys is headed to the receiver room. What about Ricky Slade? Would Kirk uh, think about doing that? But I just, I just can't wait to see how that all plays out. Journey Brown and Noah Kane look like they are going to be just a very dynamic one-two punch. And yep. I've heard that they are so high on Devin Ford that you know, just this is going to always be this way. And, yep. you know, they, they were all able to stay healthy until the second half of the season, until Noah got hurt. But it's a formidable group. I think it's, it's a good running back room as any in the country. It's a real strength. And I have no suggestions for Kirk Sharaka other than maybe suggest to James Franklin to have a better plan for the final minute of the first half with regard to using timeouts. The Penn State Blitz podcast moves on. Greg Pickle in the studio with Bob Flounders. I'm Bob. Greg's going to be heard from very shortly. Greg Pickle, what, what's next for Penn State's program? What's next on the calendar? Do we have to be worried about the transfer portal? Mm-hmm. Do we have to be worried about an offensive line coaching hire? I know there's another signing day coming up. What's next yeah. for Penn State? So I believe right now the players are all home because the winter semester does not start at Penn State till I believe January 13th. So they'll come back to campus then. So if we don't start to hear about transfer portal entries by that point in time, I think you'll begin hearing about yep. them that week because, you know, obviously guys who are going to leave aren't going to spend all – well, I guess they – in theory, they could spend all spring on campus and then leave after, you know, after spring practice in the semester We know somebody ends, who did that used to play quarterback we for Penn State. Do. We're not yes. going to mention any names. No, we're not. But his initials were TS. Yeah, he led the greatest overcashing drive in, I think, bowl season history back in uh, – back on whatever day we got back from <laughs> Dallas that Monday. So anyway – yeah, I look at it like this. The next real th- calendar thing to watch is the AFCA Coaches Convention in Nashville is January 12th through 14th. We've heard a lot about how James Franklin uses that as a place to interview coaches and get a read on future candidates for when he has job openings. So that's always interesting to follow and see maybe who he's catching up with down there. Uh, January, uh, like I said, the 13th then is – or the 14th, I'm sorry, is when classes start for the winter semester. So that will give us some transfer portal mm-hmm. insight. You know, with the offensive line coaching hire, Bob, is there really any rush? I don't think that there is. So there's no doubt to me that he knows who he wants. It's just a matter of how long it will take to put all the chess pieces in place. So, yeah, I think that will be done probably in two weeks' time. That make it sound about right. And then January 20th is a deadline to declare early for the NFL draft. Mm-hmm. And the first Wednesday in February is National Signing Day. And I believe the Senior Bowl, the NFL PA Bowl, and some of that stuff will happen in between too. Yeah, I think that James knew who his next offensive line coach was going to be before he probably let Matt know that he was going to not retain him. Right. I wonder if the OC. I think he OC. told him before. Matt Limegrover to me did not seem like a guy after the Cotton Bowl who saw this coming. But I think, I think James knew – who he was oh, going. certainly. I knew yeah. who, and I think the, the the guy's already all but on board. We're just waiting for the right time. Because we don't really know how long it had been since he had he had kind of agreed with Kirk right. Taraka to be the next offensive coordinator. It just kind of came out. What was it, the Thursday before the bowl yep. game? Yeah. So we'll see. What about on the player front? If you had to pick one or two guys that most likely to <laughs> enter the transfer portal for the fan base to kind of be nervous about, is there – is there anyone that you think might jump? You know, again, we've talked about it before, but any veteran receiver that's still on the roster is going to have to take a long and hard look yeah. at who's coming into this program, what's there. I mean, it's, it won't surprise anyone if one of the running backs would jump into that portal. But right. I don't know. You spent some time with him in Dallas. I did, too. 
I just don't get the sense any of those guys are leaving. I, I really don't. Uh, and then maybe an older corner or two that hasn't played much. Maybe one of those guys looks to move on. Someone's going to have to leave. I mean, they were they were well get over. Out. I mean, they were, they were well over eighty five scholarships, yeah. Bob. Back when they signed twenty seven players in the class of twenty twenty, and since uh, Itor Grossmatos and KJ Hamler are the only two guys that left early that weren't out of eligibility. So I think they'll have to have some guys move on, some shape or form. But yeah, I think that January fourteenth date's a key one to know. And other than that, at some point in 2020, Sandy Barber claims we'll see the basic terms of James Franklin's contract. <laughs> she said early. Doubtful. In 2020. Doubtful. I don't know what they define as early. I will bet that they're out before spring practice. I will guarantee you it won't be much long before spring practice. Uh, before we wrap it up, what's next for Micah Parsons? Are you and I, are we ready for what this next? The year of Micah. <laughs> the year of Micah is going to be like in terms of the attention because it was a crazy final 30 days really of the calendar mm-hmm. year for him with the All-American uh, honors that he got. Consensus yep. All-American, he's on the Penn State wall, dominates the Cotton Bowl. Sure looks like he has a, if he stays healthy, a, a lock to be a first-round pick. Yep. A young player who should only get better. Is he is he worthy of Heisman Trophy consideration? Is he going to win the Butkus? Is he going to be an All-American again? What is the linebacker room going to look like with him, Brandon Smith, and Lance Dixon seeing significant steps do you think we can really appreciate how crazy it's going to be for micah this year not yet but give it a few weeks and uh once we get through the early portion of the draft uh prep and everything else i mean this is a guy that is going to be on every preseason awards watch list he's going to be on every all-american team that's published anywhere in the world between now and august uh he's going to definitely i think as long as his play continues the way it has and there's no injuries be a finalist for every defensive award in the country and bob if he plays you know, if he plays 12 games like he played the Cotton Bowl, he won't win the Heisman Trophy, but he could certainly end up – I mean, it's just so hard for a defensive guy to win it. But he could certainly end up on stage in New York. I could see that. And, and if James Franklin ever decides to let him return kicks or run the ball, maybe that would help his chances. Well, I can tell you we're going to be saving this podcast, this well, video, because if he <laughs> wins the Heisman, you might as well just leave the state. <laughs> Might as well just get out now because yep. that's a bold prediction early in January. You're probably right, but I think there's a chance. I'm saying there's like a little bit of a chance. He's that good. Well, I blew Minnesota, so hopefully I don't blow this prediction like I did. It's that fun. One. It's really fun to watch him develop. It's it's great that he was. He's from the Harrisburg area, and he's just a fascinating player. Just charismatic. You see him in interviews. Uh, very captivating, great sense of humor, yep. uh, sense for, you know, the bigger the game, the better he plays. Mm-hmm. And, and just to hear people talk about him, it's kind of neat. I don't know. I, I could see him sweeping a lot of awards, a lot of defensive player awards if he stays healthy. Because I don't think we've, I really don't think we've seen his best football yet. No, I don't either, Bob. And it's only, he can only go up from here. Thanks for joining us on this week's edition of the Penn State Blitz. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe. Leave your feedback. And remember, if you subscribe, you'll get the podcast a day early. Otherwise, it's on Penn Live every Thursday. We'll see you next week.